0: What's up, guys? Rachel Lindsay here, and I am teaming up with your favorite Ringer podcasters to deliver the Bravo drama and news that you've been craving on Morally Corrupt. It's the show about all things Bravo, from the housewives to summer house and everything in between. We'll be mentioning it all every week. Check it out on Spotify and theringer.com.
1: This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear starring Jeremy Allen White, Io Adeburi, and Eben moss Backrat, Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next-level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right. It is Wednesday, May 25th. And today, We are talking about one of my favorite topics, Saturday Night Live. They had some news this past week, four big cast members leaving the show, puts it in an interesting spot for its 48th season, heading into what is likely going to be the last two, two and a half seasons for Lauren Michaels, the executive producer and co-creator of the show. And I figured, you know, at this interesting pivot for SNL, it would be a good time to have in an expert. On the show so i asked james andrew miller jim is the author of a fantastic oral history on snl called live from new york that he wrote with tom shales and he also writes a bunch of other books. He wrote a book recently about it, HBO. He's done the ESPN book. And he really gets into it. He does hundreds and hundreds of interviews with people around his subject. So he knows everything there is to know about SNL, has sat down with Lauren Michaels many, many times. And it's an interesting spot because this is a show that started in 1975 with seven original, not for primetime players. The cast has absolutely ballooned in recent years. It's over 20 cast members. Lauren is a 77-year-old guy at this point. This is his baby. He's done many things in the industry, but SNL is his thing. He's never missed a show. So this is going to be a really interesting time for SNL over the next couple of years. And we're going to get into it with Jim Miller. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Jim Miller. Jim, in addition to being a fantastic writer, he is an SNL-ologist. He actually wrote an oral history of SNL a few years ago called Live from New York that if you haven't read it is essential if you are an snl fan like myself um he's written books about the talent agency caa he's uh wrote a recent book about hbo the network uh, an oral history that is fantastic as well but i wanted to get jim in here because we saw the news last week that four of the most prominent snl cast members are leaving after this season they are pete davidson kate mckinnon kyle mooney and ade bryant I wanted to get Jim in here to just kind of talk about the state of SNL because we're heading into the 48th season. It is amazingly still a relevant show in this kind of fractured culture. There really isn't a place to make stars like stars are made on SNL. I think still, even though that is diminished and at the center of it all is one guy, Lauren Michaels, who is in his late seventies now and has been with the show for about 50 years, heading up to the 50th anniversary in a couple of years. So Jim. Where do you put this shakeup, these exits, this status of the cast? Where do you put it in the Pantheon history of SNL?
2: Well, I guess there are two ways to look at it, right? One is just in terms of sheer numbers. And the second is in terms of individuals who are incredibly important to the cast. So these are four big names and they had been there for a long time and they will certainly be missed. I think... You know, look, you have to go back to, I guess it was season 38 in the end of 13 when Sudeikis and Fred and Bill Hader left. I think personally that was a really big, significant one. And the year before that was when Wig and Andy Samberg left. As a result of that, when you you have those kinds of people who are big blips on the radar leave, you know, that next year is automatically becomes like, quote-unquote rebuilding year because you're having to find people that to pick up some of that slack. I mean, Kate McKinnon was there for a long time. She was incredibly, like Kristen, she was incredibly agile. I mean, 80 was always there. It's funny about Pete Davidson. There probably hasn't been a cast member in SNL history who's talked more about his personal life and his life outside the show, on the show, than Pete. You know, it's not like Pete was... Uh, had a reoccurring character that we all loved don't forget that chad character i i, I am i am short
1: on pete davidson i i don't believe he's got a, a huge future but i heard from a number of pete fans on twitter this past week when i mentioned that um they they noted that he does have an nbc sitcom coming up with Edie falco but i don't think pete is long for this world uh beyond snl what do you think
2: well i'll tell you one thing and shows with the litany of uh, fantastic women he's been with. The audience (laughs) loves Pete Davidson. From the first time he came out, I remember the first hit he did on Weekend Update. There's something about him, his story, his saga with his father, whatever it is that they root for him. And by the way, they will laugh with him and at his stuff exponentially more than, like, say, if that line came from somebody else. He certainly, uh, he, he certainly has the audience's affection.
1: If you look at Lauren Michaels and his ability to reinvent this show, starting with you know the fact that its biggest star Chevy Chase left after that breakout season, and he found Bill Murray. And they trudged on and made it what it what it is, and you know even going through that the eighties and that early nineties cast with the big stars like Phil Hartman and Mike Myers through the Will Ferrells and you know Chris Rock's and all the way through up until now he's got another challenge. He's also seventy seven years old. How, how do you think? What do you think? Lauren is thinking right now.
2: He's thinking, get me to fifty so I can retire. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it he- is
1: expected that he is going to retire after the fiftieth. Anniversary show, which do you still think
2: that's happening? I'm sure there's going to be a great 50th anniversary show, whether or not that'll be Lauren's farewell. I, I mean, you'd have to assume that at some point he wants a life. Remember something Lauren, he's, the show's been on 47 seasons. Lauren's done 42 seasons. He was away for five years. He's never missed a show, ever. And he loves it, uh, no matter what's going on in the Worn universe, including Broadway video and movies and sitcoms like 30 Rock and everything else, Saturday Night Live is his favorite child. It always takes the priority. And so you could imagine a case where he's saying, yes, you know, 50 years is is plenty and I got to move on. Or he's saying, like, I just I can't let go. I think obviously NBC is going to let him make that decision.
1: He used to travel all over. He would go to Chicago and go to UCB. He would go to the Groundlings in L.A. and watch people. You know, he really invested himself in finding that new talent. And I know now he's got a lot of people around him that help him with that. How invested and how much do you think he's going to go out and find the next cast?
2: Despite the fact that some might think it's an unusually large cast, even with the departure of these four, they are going to be scouting this summer. They will be looking. They will be out in L.A. at clubs. They will be all over the place. Now, whether or not Lauren has to go to all those places like he used to, I mean, you know, somebody can send them a link to the stand up or something like that. But bottom line, nobody's going to be hired on SNL without Lauren seeing them, you know, basically doing a colonoscopy on them in terms of their background, what their Twitter feed history has been, what, what kind of upside they have i mean he's going to make that final decision i mean there's there's no doubt Like he doesn't cut corners on particularly on casting
1: and you know as you mentioned there's still a gigantic cast already i mean we've gone from seven at the beginning of the show to 21 i counted uh, depending on how you count some of these contributors but that's the new normal right
2: right i think that's in part because of two things one is lauren decided to loosen. The rains several years ago, and so people can do outside projects. Eighty had a show. People go on do movies. Uh, you can talk to cast members from the eighties and even the nineties who will tell you about movies that they couldn't do because it was during the season. I think Lauren faced reality and embraced the idea that people can have a life at SNL and a life somewhere else, and I think that served them very well. Look, at Kristen Wiig did Bridesmaids and came back to the show. Bridesmaids opened incredibly well and was a big success. And she could have just dropped out and become a movie star, and she came back to the show. And I think that was an important moment, not only for Lauren, but for the show in showing that people will come back. So I think the large cast is in part because you don't have everybody every week. I mean, look, Pete Davidson would disappear for big chunks at a time. 80 was gone for a while. Kate was gone for a while. So you need other people. And then the other thing is, look, remember, this isn't quantum physics that we're dealing with. There isn't a formula for what makes a great cast member. And one of the things that's happened throughout SNL history is the delicious surprises. You know, people that maybe you didn't realize were going to be gigantic became terrific. And it goes the other way, too. Maybe some people that were hired you thought would be fantastic and they just couldn't do it. So you have to hedge your bets sometimes and, and make sure that you have enough of an army to, to get 90 minutes every week and make it as strong as possible.
1: Yeah, I think people were surprised this year at the Biden impression by James Austin Johnson. Uh, I think he kind of came out of nowhere and the people, when they saw him do the Biden impression, they're like, holy shit. What about the
2: t- Trump? The Trump is also, the Trump is amazing too. <laughs> I mean, I gotta tell you the Trump, Trump's Biden uh, The yeah. Trump, the cadence that he had yeah, yeah, was yeah. phenomenal is really one. It, it just automatically jumped to one of the best um, they they've had.
1: And a big pivot from the previous seasons where they did, you know, I think they kind of got stuck in that rut of finding big celebrities to come on and do the big personalities of the trump administration and that worked for a while but alec baldwin got sick of it you know you could have your matt damon as brett kavanaugh but it it, that was not really sustainable was it especially during COVID.
2: true but you can't forget kate mckinnon's jeff sessions i mean i think that there was nothing that drove the trump white house crazier about snl than having females impersonate males and uh there were there were a bunch of them including ad bryant too
1: it's funny watching the dynamic, because one of the hallmarks of SNL for most of its history has been male cast members dressing up as women, and that has completely been changed. You do not see that anymore. You see women dressing as men all the time. I think that's an interesting sign of the times.
2: Well, I've never heard, since Tina Fey became head writer, I've never heard anybody say it's a boys club, and that's a, that's a huge paradigm shift from earlier in its history.
1: Yeah, and the politics of the sketches have changed. It used to have this very kind of Harvard Lampoon, you know, uh, white male sensibility. And if you look at a lot of the sketches over the past couple of years, they've really succeeded in changing the perspective of a lot of the sketches. A lot of them are from female perspective. They have a much more diverse and interesting cast now than they ever have.
2: Well, we have to credit the great Keenan Thompson because after Kerry Washington hosted years ago and he was doing... Well, let's just say that there was a lot of impersonations and carrying a lot of order. He said he wasn't going to do things anymore. He wasn't going to dress in drag. He wasn't going to do... And I think it was that next year they hired Shashir Samada. And even though she didn't last, I think that was an acknowledgement on the show's part that they really did need to make sure that it was a diverse group. And they've been pretty good about it since.
1: And that stuff was always a blind spot for Lorne. And I think, you know, whether it's the culture or people around him, He got with the times and said, okay, this is a diverse audience. We're actually going to have a diverse cast at some point.
2: And I think you also have to think about the writer's room too, because we tend to focus on what's in front of the camera. And I think that there's been a lot more diversity in the writer's room. I think it's been all over the place.
1: All right. So who else is leaving? If you had to guess, who else will not be in the cast when they come back in the fall for season 48? I don't think Cecily Strong will stay. But the, the thing is, though, Cecily Strong is the kind of person that she probably would have gotten a send-off. I mean, if you looked at the season finale... Well, that's, what
2: I, that's what people are saying about Che. Like, you know, Che's been there for a long time. He's hinted in interviews that, you know, he's been thinking about leaving. Uh, one of the things that Lauren has also done in recent years, including the best send-off of all, which was Mick Jagger uh, saying goodbye, and the cast saying goodbye to Kristen Wiig, Um, I think that... You know, the notion of a send off or getting that moment like Kate had last week. I think Che and Cicely would have definitely warranted their own goodbyes last week if they were indeed leaving. Look, sometimes you don't know.
1: I think a lot of times people ascribe a little bit more strategy to what Lauren does than there actually is at the show. I mean, people I talk to at the show say it's not this grand scheme where they say, okay, we're going to do this, 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 these people are coming back. We're doing this. Much of it is last minute. Lauren really does take the summer to do other things and go to his villa or whatever he does. And I I just, (laughs) I feel like, I feel, you know, hang with Mick Jagger. I know he's friends with him, but I feel like he just wakes up one morning in August and September and says, you know, I think we need a new Trump. You know, or something like that. And, you know, do you think that there is, do you think he knows what he wants to do next season?
2: Well, first of all, remember, there's a big part of the equation that isn't in his control. So, you know, like I remember being at the last show and everybody was saying, is Andy Samberg leaving or not? Well, he hadn't decided at that moment. You know, I think Lauren has to make sure that he hears from Michael Che and says. Really strong and you know part of it he doesn't have control over. He also has a budget. I mean this idea that um does he Warren,
1: though? I mean I have heard from people at NBC that say yeah he has one until he says we need more money.
2: Well it isn't like it was under Don Oldmeyer where Don was saying you better cut back on the popcorn and there's no more snacks in the office and you better fire Norm McDonald and Adam Sandler because I don't think they're funny. But I so I think he's got a, a lot of autonomy. But he also ironically, uh, as much of a rebel as he is for the state of comedy, Lauren is a good corporate citizen. He's been a good NBC, dare he use the word, employee. He doesn't take advantage of situations. I mean, he may spend money when he feels like he needs to, but he's not going to go out and, and turn it to George Steinbrenner just to like hire a ton of people that he's not going to be able to use. I think there are some calculations. I think it just... It means that the summer is a very, very important time for us. And now people tend to think, you know, they all just pack up their bags and leave and then get together again, the third week in September or whatever it is. Um, he's got to hear from everybody who's on the cast. Are you staying? Are you not? And then look and see each departure. Each person is kind of sui generous, And so it's not just about plugging a hole. If Michael Che leaves, it's a big, big matzo ball because you think wait a second does colin want to do you know update by himself it's a set of dominoes that that takes off i think he does have to be somewhat strategic about it because you can't hire a bunch of people who basically do the same thing or are basically going to duplicate what other people have
1: and keenan's going to turn the lights out there right
2: keenan man what a marathoner um yeah and once again Keenan
1: literally he had a sitcom and now that sitcom has been canceled and he's still on the show.
2: <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying, which is Lauren made room. It wasn't binary. You know, you want to do that sitcom, say goodbye. It was like, okay, give it a shot. We'll work around it. Well, and he also
1: produced it. I mean, that don't forget, Lauren gets a taste of all this stuff. Not all of it, well, but a lot of it. Of course.
2: It. I mean, he's a thriving capitalist. But um, but 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 the whole point is that Keenan's a great example of how this new formula has worked. Because otherwise, he would have left to do the series. The series would have been canceled, and he wouldn't be on the show now with a lot of valuable time.
1: Yeah, he's. I mean, he has been the glue on that show. He's like the most versatile cast member. Always funny. Um, the, the I think this is probably one of the most important summers in SNL history, and here's why: because this next cast, the next two years, that's Lauren's legacy, right? how he leaves that show is going to be determined by the cast that he selects for the next couple of years. Um, and, you know, it's yeah. a big test. He's 77 years old. Does he still have that ability to bring in the great, you know, the next Will Ferrell, the next Kristen Wiig? Uh, I think we're going to, it's, it's going to be interesting because we, I think we're going to really miss some of these cast members that are leaving.
2: With all due respect, bud, I totally disagree. Tell me why. Cause Lauren's legacy is about,
1: listen lauren doesn't have to worry about his legacy he's the most important person in comedy you you know
2: uh, nobody's going to be judging him off the cast of the last two seasons three years from now people can barely keep seasons in their minds or or cast in their minds i mean look obviously he doesn't want to have a lot if he does leave at 50 uh, seasons he doesn't want to have that last saga that last stretch be awful. But I think that anybody looking, uh, even if it were to be awful, it's going to be married into a larger mosaic of 45 years, 45 seasons that he would have done. Sure.
1: I'm not saying that 50th anniversary show is going to be something special, but everybody, especially guys at the top like that who have done everything, they want to go out on top. And I think if Lauren had a very high rated season with, you know, stuff that people were talking about in the culture and some breakout stars, I think that would be exactly where he wants to leave the show.
2: I think uh, ratings matter a lot to people like you and uh, the business. I don't think ratings for SNL. I mean, there have been times when the numbers have been like friends and relatives and uh, they can't. I mean, they're not going to get rid of the show. I don't think. Um, his legacy is wrapped up in whether or not finish the ratings. What I do think, though, is, look, I I think that whether or not SNL remains part of the, I use the word, zeitgeist, and most importantly, 24, is SNL going to be part of the political process in the presidential year like it has been in many years, is it going to be vital? Is it going to have a role to play? Are people going to be, you know, consuming those sketches the next day in a vital way? I think that's more of a measure of success. You know, who are the new Jim Downies? who are the new, he's got to have that writing room like Tina and Seth and everybody else. Who's going to write those sketches. Who's going to write those Sarah Palin sketches and other sketches that are going to really do something during that, campaign that no one else no other show can do and that is a big big definition of success for sNL
1: do you think and mean we've talked enough on this show I think about who might succeed Lauren but I want to ask you a specific question about the logistics do you think Lauren will name a successor or do you think they will ha- let him go out you know have his big party and then after a few months say this is what we're doing with the show?
2: Look, I think that they will, at the very least, first of all, they have to decide whether or not they're going to continue the show. That's the first big fork in the road.
1: I think that's a given. They can't. It'd be fiscally irresponsible not to get, continue the show.
2: I'm just saying there have been many, many years. And by the way, some executives at NBC who who have said through the years, okay, it's fine as long as um, Lauren's there, but uh, once he leaves, I don't think we would do it again. That is literally been said through the years not by necessarily people in charge but by people involved with the show um let's just say they decide to do it again it would be silly if lauren lauren figures out that he's going to be leaving it it after the 50th i think he's going to want to put somebody in place for at least the season before and probably two seasons before to have them shadow them even if there's somebody who's really familiar with the show. I mean, look, people used to think that Tina could do it. People would mentioned Seth, Seth's got a show, uh, you know, who is actually capable of doing it. And then maybe you think you get somebody to do the creative part of the show and split up the business. Cause Lauren also runs the business, even though he has people like Jack Sullivan and others that, that kind of run the production company. He's been the one to do a lot of things forward facing, with the executives at NBC, so I think he's um, considerate enough to, to to give them a heads up, like Johnny Carson did, and say, "Look, I'm going to be leaving in two years. This is who I think can do it. I'm going to have them shadow me. I'm going to have them get considerable more responsibility, or bring them in and show them where the bathrooms are and show them how this thing works." <laughs> and uh,
1: I don't know. I'm not so sure. I, I I agree with you. That would that would be the better thing to do. Uh, I just don't know. I mean, I think that that everybody treats Lauren with such kid gloves and is, you know, kind of he's this elephant in the room that if he doesn't mention it, they're just going to chug along. (laughs) It might be, you know, he 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 does his final show and then they say, okay, now what?
2: No, no, no. But Matt, remember, you weren't forgetting one thing. Yeah. Lauren loves SNL. No doubt about it. Lauren wants to do what's best for SNL. Uh, unlike 1980 when he was pissed off and he and Gilda and Jane and everybody else, you know, they, they, they took their their keys and and shut the lights off. He didn't care. He wanted to, in many ways, he didn't care what happened to, to the show. He wanted it to probably go away, quite frankly, or be a disaster. If he leaves, he's going to want it to be a success. So I think, you know, he's not narcissistic enough to think that, um, you know, there isn't somebody that's going to need to, get a running start at, at succeeding him. He's going to want to do what's best for the show. Okay.
1: Jim Miller, thanks for joining us. If you haven't ever read his SNL oral history, read it. He's got a great new HBO book out, and he has a podcast called Origins, which is fantastic. Thank you, Jim.
2: Hey, okay, thanks for having me, Matt.
1: All right, we are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. Uh, Producer Craig, are you excited for Obi-Wan Kenobi this weekend?
0: I'm indifferent, not in a negative way. I, I, I'm not like a diehard... I'm not a big diehard fan of anything really in, in TV or movies. Like I, I like to watch Game of Thrones. I like to watch Star Wars. But I feel like now you either have to be 100% in and know everything about the history of every character or you can't join the conversation. And so I, I'm kind of in the middle.
1: Well, that's definitely true with Marvel. But I think with Obi-Wan Kenobi, they're they're trying to kind of make this stand on its own. But mm-hmm. it's it's interesting because to young people, the prequels are the kind of foundational movies they saw as a kid growing up with this. Now, for me, I was older and the prequels sucked. I knew enough to know they were horrible. And I had this visceral reaction every time I would hear Hayden Christensen's voice. I was like, oh God, Anakin. But I feel like that has all been kind of whitewashed and people are super excited for Obi-Wan Kenobi. And to many people, Ewan McGregor is Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's not Alec Guinness, it's Ewan McGregor.
0: That's right. I, I, want, I can't think of anything that I would have known him for. I mean, there's obviously like train spotting and stuff that I wasn't exactly watching that when I was nine. So yeah, he is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And maybe the, people see this as a chance at redemption. Because all I've been told once I hit a certain age was that the sequels sucked. They're terrible. And I, you know, when I, you're nine, you know you don't know that. But when you're 16 right. and you hear they suck, maybe you start to believe that. So maybe this is a shot at redemption for for the storyline.
1: Yeah. I mean, my my little kid loves the prequels and he loves it because it's just spaceships flying around. Yeah, better and like, effects,
0: there's lightsabers, of totally. course.
1: It's not as slow. There's a lot to look at. But you know, I remember watching the prequels and it's like you we were in the first one and it was like, wait, is this terrible? And then we come out, we're like, Yeah, that was pretty terrible. And then the second one, wow, that was actually worse. The like last half hour of the third one, the third prequel is actually pretty good, but the whole mm. the whole trilogy should have been that. So I think yeah. they're now trying to kind of remake that and you know do a little revisionist history with Obi-Wan Kenobi but that brings me to my prediction of the day I predict this will be the biggest opening weekend so to speak for a Disney Plus show in the history of Disney Plus I think Obi-Wan Kenobi will be huge and there will be a press release on Tuesday of next week saying this is the biggest opening for a Disney Plus show and there's a couple of reasons for that one I think it will it's legitimately going to generate a ton of audience and second Lucasfilm is in a very defensive place right now. They know that the film franchise is in the toilet. They really drove that into the ground with the the Rise of the Sky Rise of Skywalker movie, and it's not really going anyplace. They did a big Vanity Fair piece uh, last week where they basically tried to convince everyone that TV is what we have been going for this whole time, and we've got five shows in the works, and. That's why I think they will put out a big press release saying, look at us. We succeeded. Obi-Wan Kenobi is a huge hit. Don't pay attention to the fact that this franchise, which started as a film franchise is basically not a film franchise anymore.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. It's out today, right? May 25th. I think it comes out today, tonight. Um, is this something you're going to watch with your kid? Can oh, kids yeah. even watch this? Is there too much backstory required to watch this show or no? Oh, no. He
1: knows the prequels. He knows who Obi-Wan is. He's seen the, the posters. He's even noticed, if you look close enough at the billboards, there is a tiny little Darth Vader in the background, oh. which he has spotted and is very keen to to see. Unless it's super violent, we're going to watch it. He's super into it.
0: You could throw Darth Vader in anything and I'd watch it. Just tease that Darth Vader's going to be in something and I'll watch it.
1: And... and yeah, and that's what they're trading on. They know. I mean, it's an interesting challenge, though, because we were led to believe that in the original Star Wars, that after Anakin went bad and turned into Darth Vader, that the first time he and Obi-Wan met and had a face-off in a fight was in the original Star Wars. So anything they do in this Obi-Wan series where I'm guessing there is going to be some face-off between him and his ex-friend Anakin, who is now Darth Vader, that is going to change the meaning of the original Star Wars movie. So I, 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 hope they don't do, I hope they don't do too much. Like in Rogue One, they did enough where it's like, okay, this is the story of how they stole the plans for the Death Star. And at the end, Darth Vader comes out and kicks some ass. And that was great. But it didn't change the fundamental occurrence of what happened in star wars you know the 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 plans still get to princess leia and then they still have that movie i just hope this doesn't change the meaning of the original movie
0: Look at you. You're really on it. I, I you're basically speaking French to me. I really right. got to go this back is the, and like, organize me, my thoughts.
1: This is the only franchise I actually know about. If you talk to me, I don't know the difference between Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I do <laughs> know the difference between, you know, the the old Darth Vader, sorry, the old uh Obi-Wan and the young Obi-Wan, and I I do know a little bit of Star Wars lore, which is what makes me so pissed off when they fuck around with it and they screw it up. And the the movies Like the recent movies just screwed up the entire franchise. And that's why they can't figure out what to do with it. (laughs) I enjoyed those. I enjoy all of them. I'll just go sit down and see anything. All right. Well, good for you. You live a much happier (laughs) existence than I do. Ignorance is bliss. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. That is the show for today. I want to thank Jim Miller for coming on. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck. And I want to thank you. We'll see you tomorrow.
2: This episode is brought to you by State Farm.